Good morning. Does anyone need a Bible that they'd like? You just raise your hand if you want a Bible. And somebody, and Mary will pass them out. Anybody need a Bible? We're going to be turning to Colossians 1. But before we do, as we do that, has anyone ever came up to you and said, I have a secret? And if you promise not to tell anyone, I'll share it with you. Do you ever have that happen to you? This morning, the Apostle Paul is going to let us in some secrets. And he wants us not to keep them to ourselves. So let's not keep what's being shared this morning to ourselves. So we're going to read 11 verses, Colossians 1, 24 through into chapter 2. And as we read, I want you to pay attention to the word mystery in many versions, but it may be secret in some other versions. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Verse 25 of chapter 1. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to God's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. In this passage, and Paul kind of jumps here and there, and hopefully I can bring some order to what he's saying here. Because it took me, I say it took me a while. When Dan asked me to speak, I emailed back. I said, can I speak? Well, I want, I think maybe on something. Or do you want me to follow the next passage? And I usually says, you can do whatever you want. But he said the next, he gave me this next passage. 
I thought, I thought oh dear. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no I, but I, I was praying to the Lord and just really kept, yeah, I kept really reading this over and over in different versions. And yeah, and so thankfully the Lord has shown me some things, I believe, for us this morning. And I see how Paul here is contending, or some versions say he's laboring. He's really working hard, he says, on behalf of the church. He says he's suffering for the church. Why is he going through all this? Because he says he wants to present everyone, everyone mature in Christ. But this maturity, he says, depends on something. Something God has hidden in times past from the people, even the people of God. He has kept this as a mystery, Paul would say. But now, Paul says, he has made it known. And Paul wants to get this secret out to people everywhere. Because if people get this message, it is revolutionary. Others we see in this book of Colossians are spreading other messages. Messages that lead people away from the truth and make them slaves to errors. Indeed, in the Roman world at that time, there was a group called, there's a bunch of religions called the mystery religions. They were a mystery, all right. And people thought that they could get purification and immortality of the soul if they went through a certain secret initiatory and other rites, which involved washings and blood sprinkling and sacramental meals and intoxication and emotional frenzy and impressive pageantry. And somehow through all this, they were supposed to gain union with the deity. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Not to me, though. <laughs> but Paul says, there's no mystery here. The mystery is now an open secret. He says, God has given me a special commission to clearly make known the mystery of God. What is this mystery that's been kept hidden from the people of God all these generations? Well, as the old Sunday school answer is, Jesus. <laughs> well, really, it's more than that. It's Christ. And here we see it's more, it's not quite as simple as just saying Jesus. Because Christ is God's answer to every deep-rooted problem in our society. And not just our society, in the universe, in the cosmos itself. In Christ, through his death, resurrection and glorification, something has begun to happen and is happening that no one could ever imagine and even now we cannot grasp. Last week, as Dan led us through prayer in Colossians 1, we caught this picture of who Christ is. We read about him being the image of the invisible God. 
he shows us in human form what God is like. He is the firstborn of all creation, how in all things he is created. In all things, how in all things he created them. He is before all things, and it says he holds all things together. He is the head of the body, the church, so that in everything Christ might have supremacy. And then in verse 19, 20, it says we see God's grand purpose in Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Ephesians, Paul states it slightly different, and I don't know if you realize this, and actually I, I realize it more as I study in this time, that the one-third, one-third of the wording that's used in Colossians is used in Ephesians. And if you read these two books, a lot of, there's a lot of very similarities between them. And actually, the book of Ephesians kind of sometimes amplifies things that Paul says in the book of Colossians. So, so in Ephesians, Paul puts it, God made known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now let's go way back to the beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created all things. And everything was in harmony with him. And everything submitted to him. But then in Genesis 3, we see through the disobedience of Adam and Eve comes alienation. We see alienation between God and humans. We see an alienation between humans, between man and woman, and other humans shortly thereafter. We see an alienation between nature and humans. But Paul tells us that God has sent Christ to bring about reunification, as you may have it. Alienation has been destroyed in Christ. And reunification has begun. Certainly, if we look around, we don't see it all yet. That the completion will happen when Christ returns. But even now, Paul says, certain things have taken place which can have a huge impact on our lives. So the initial secret is Christ. And, this old, and the big plan of him bringing reunification. But in our verses this morning, Paul unfolds two aspects of that secret. The first one is that God wants to share the boundless riches of Christ with everyone, regardless of their background. Verse 26, the mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Part of the mystery of God is that now Gentiles, 
non-Jews have the same rights and privileges as the Jews. Now, if we're realistic, almost 20 centuries later, that doesn't seem much of a deal to us. We probably really, you know, Jews, Gentiles, we don't, most of us, I mean, we're not thinking that way. But that was radical news in Paul's day. The Jews viewed themselves as God's chosen people, which they were, and they viewed the rest of the world as outsiders. All the Gentiles could convert and become and followers of Yahweh, or God, as we see in the case of Ruth in the Old Testament. But in Jesus and Paul's time, we know that the temple was divided into different courts, and the outer court was called the court of the Gentiles, because it didn't matter if you converted to Judaism, you still could only go in the court, the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. You could never become a fully full Jew. Indeed, the next court was the court for the women. Even they could not become fully, you might say, Jewish in a sense. So there's this boundary between Jews and Gentiles. We see also in the Old Testament that the Jews were supposed to be light to the Gentiles, light to the nations. But if you, if you've read the Old Testament, realize that they didn't really do too good a job of that. They kind of forgot why God had made them, his chosen people. And by the time of the New Testament, we see them very focused in on themselves, trying to protect God's law and see the kingdom restored to Israel. Or if an outsider came, a Gentile came and wanted to be a Jew, well, that's good. But it wasn't like the Jews were just out there seeking the Gentiles and welcoming them to come in. They had to come on their terms. And even we see in the early church, it struggled with this. With this message that the gospel was for Gentiles. You read the first few chapters of Acts, where is the church? It's stuck in Jerusalem. It's stuck in Jerusalem. It takes persecution to get the church, the believers, outside Jerusalem. And even then, when some people begin sharing Christ with Gentiles, the report gets back to Jerusalem. This controversy. Christ is being shared with Gentiles. And they, some of them insisting, well, they got to become Jews. Yeah, they can have Christ, but they must become Jews and obey all these rules and regulations. Because it was so radical that they, a, a, a Gentile be, could become a Christian without becoming a Jew. But Paul says in Ephesians, again, because I'm referring to it, amplifies it, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The revelation that was given particularly to Paul and to others was that Gentiles don't need to become Jews. 
to become Christians. God is creating a new people. A people in Christ with Gentiles of co-heirs with Israel. Co-body members of a new people of God. And co-sharers in the promise of a new creation. In Christ, there need be no insiders and outsiders. All are welcome into this new group called the church. Now, as I said, this is not probably, wow, what's the big, what's the big news here today, Jim? You know, we know this stuff. Most of us are probably Gentiles and we haven't given a lot of thought about it. And that's what I was struggling with too. What's, as, as I was studying, what's new here, like, you know? How is this relevant to us? But then it's, I saw there's a bigger picture here. And it is that the boundless riches of Christ is for everyone, regardless of our background. Let me ask you a question this morning. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you an outsider or insider now? If you're, what are you? You're an insider. If we follow Jesus, we are now insiders. We are like the Jews in the New Testament. And we read in 1 Peter that Peter says that. He says that we are indeed now God's chosen people, us Gentiles. And I should actually shouldn't assume it. Gentile simply is a non-Jew, just, just in case that term may be. I know we don't, I don't use that word in my vocabulary, but so... We are God's chosen people now. We are his special possession. And that should make us feel great. But there's a subtle danger here after we've been inside for a while. We can become so comfortable of being on the inside, enjoying the light, enjoying the riches of Christ with like-minded believers, that after a while, we can forget those on the outside. After all, a lot of people on the outside don't share our values. In fact, they may even be a threat to the things we value. And sometimes we might get to the point where we almost see them as enemies because they don't share the things that we appreciate certainly about Christ. But Paul reminds us that Christ is for the outsider as well as for the insider. His riches are for everyone. His riches are for the immigrant and the person who's lived in Lanark County for, uh, whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have been here for generations. His riches are for straight people and for the LGBT community. His riches are for those born in Christian families and for those born into atheist families, those born into Muslim families and Sikh families and Hindu families, and on and on it goes. His riches 
are for good citizens and for child molesters, rapists, and murderers. The riches of Christ is boundless. It's for everyone. And when received and believed, Paul says there are no second-rate Christians. Later on in this book, he would declare that in Christ there's no Gentile or Jew. The distinction is gone. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, which seems to refer to savage. There are no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. When someone becomes a follower of Jesus, the distinctions begin to fade away. And he wants to create a new people, a people of oneness. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But he has blessed us so that we might bless others. But it's so easy for us to keep focusing on his blessings to us. And that's why I want us to stop right now and to ask the Lord a question. Lord, who is that person or group of people close at hand that I haven't given much thought about sharing Christ with. So just take a moment now and just ask him that question. Lord, reveal to me who is that person or group of people that I haven't paid much attention to who is very close at hand to me who needs to know you. if a name or a group of people has come to you, just this, begin in this week to look for opportunities how you might connect with them and how you might share a word, share a word, even just dropping in what God's done for you. It doesn't have to be full-blown testimony, just that God's done something for you or praying for in some way. Because Christ's riches, Paul says, is for everyone. It's for the outsider whom we want to bring into the inside in Christ. Paul begins to unfold the mystery even further in verse 27 of Colossians 1, where he says, To them, to the church, God, God's people, God has made known, chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ is in you, in me. Sometimes, as followers of Jesus, it's almost like he's up there somewhere, or out there somewhere, and it's, we have this spatial idea of where God is, but it seems oftentimes he's distant away from us. 
So Paul says, I'll let you in on a secret. Christ is in you. And he says, in another place in Colossians, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, so he uses these, he mixes his metaphors, his pictures, but it doesn't matter whether you, it's about Christ in us or us being in him. The whole idea is this is a very intimate relationship. It's a close union here with Christ. And he doesn't want us to be living our lives from day to day thinking that he's somewhere else that periodically we go and have a chat with. Rather, he wants us to live our lives like a friend in which we'd sit down across from the table with a coffee shop and share our life's journey with. Because he's with us wherever and through whatever we go through. <clears throat> Christ lives in you. Think of it. The one through whom all things were created. The one through whom God was pleased to have all its fullness dwell. The one who has supremacy in everything lives in us. Colossians 2 verse 10 says, In Christ you've been brought to fullness. Or as God's word translation says, God has made you complete in Christ. You get it? He's made us complete in Christ. We have it all now. We have it all in Christ. We don't need to have another experience. We can have more experiences in Christ, but we don't need another experience to get more of him. We have all of Christ now. We have his resources. The fullness of God lives in you and I, if we are his followers. Two weeks ago, Dan was talking about that prayer in chapter 1, where Paul prays that, that they, people would, may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And we may say, wow, can we live a life worthy of the Lord? Can we please him in every way? Well, Paul seems to think so. Why would he pray such things? Do you think Paul just prayed for, you know, just to have something to do and, yeah, just uh, trying to dream things up? I don't think so. And he prays. I believe he expected God to do that. And here he gives us the, the source of how this can happen. Christ in us. Christ can enable us to live a life that's worthy, that pleases God. To walk in obedience. For some of us here this morning, we need to stop asking God for more. We need to stop asking God for more. 
Instead, we need to accept what he's already done for us and begin giving him thanks. And I've shared this before, a good exercise is to, as we read particularly through the letters of Paul, is to discover who we are already in our relationship with Christ and begin declaring that and thanking him for who we are. Because sometimes the things we're asking him for, we are already are. It is latent, you might say, within us and needs to be brought forth as we, as we thank him and accept his work within us. Some of us may need to stop thinking that this Christian life is all dependent upon us getting it right. And see that it's wholly dependent upon him getting it right. On his life working within us and us learning to be dependent on him. We can't live the Christian life in and of ourselves. Christian life was never made for us to live. It was made for Christ to live it in us and through us. We need to stop doing it on our own. Start following his lead. In Christ, Paul says, are hidden or stored up or deposited all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know about you, when a situation arises, what do we do? Well, we think, mm, what should I do? What should I do? Maybe I should go talk to this person, and they can give me some advice, and maybe go to another person and get some advice, you know. And, but all the wisdom, Paul says, and knowledge is stored up in Christ. A month or two, as part of an online training, I periodically take place, take part in. And there was this couple on from another part of the world, and I thought, well, it'd be good, it'd be good to maybe talk, chat with them. We ask them some questions. And you know, in this day and age, it's amazing sometimes if you just take the effort, you can chat to you don't know who. So. I went through the organizer of the thing, and they, they connected me, email with this, this, these people. And the time was set for Catherine and I to, I think they call it Zoom, Zoom, something like Skype, with, with these people. Turned out it was only the man, because his wife was away. And I'd sent these kind of questions, or I think I'd sent some questions, why well, want, yeah. And I had these questions all written down on my paper, and here, this man, this godly man is going to give me my answers. I was looking forward to this. And he begins, and he says, I'd like us to turn to this scripture. And we turn to this scripture, and I know this scripture. And he has some turn, he has us turn to some other scriptures, and rarely, I, I'm kind of feeling frustrated, because I know these scriptures. I, you don't need to tell me this stuff. <laughs> and... And he kind of keeps on like that. And, and in the end, he never really does answer maybe one question of mine. 
they keep saying, you don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from God. You need to go to him. And he just kept showing through the, the scriptures and a story from scripture. He said, go to God. He is the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Christ is in us. He's so close. And we can go to him. And as we wait upon him, he will show us things. You know, even as, you know, as I said, I looked at the scripture at first. Now I saw, I had seen a long time ago, Christ in me, but I'd seen that part before, but I thought, what's the rest of this about? But he is faithful, and he showed me some things. Christ in us. He lives in you if you're a follower of him. And if you're not yet a follower of him, you can invite him. Tell him you want to follow him from now on. That you're willing to obey him and go where he goes and be with him. But right now, I want us to pray again. I just want us to stop. And this time, I want you to ask the Lord who lives in you. Where in my life am I trying to live in my own strength? Why is it you're trying to tell me that I've been trying to figure out another way? So let's just bow our heads again and just ask the Lord. What is it, Lord, you want me to hear? What are you want to do in me in these days? Paul has shared with us God's secrets. Whatever you do, don't keep them to yourself. Share the boundless riches of Jesus with outsiders. Live out of the reality that Christ lives in you. Be a secret tower, and it will change others. It will change you. Father, we thank you for these secrets that you've made known to Paul, and as he has made known to the Colossians, and in turn to us. And we ask, yes, keep unfolding these secrets to us, that they may become clearer. As we go about a task this week, that we'd see the people around us that we have ignored before, that need to hear about you. And that we would see how close you are. 
that you have the wisdom we need for each situation. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen.